0: Among the letters of Paul, three, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus are known as the pastoral epistles because they are written to Titus in Crete and Timothy in Ephesus who are serving as pastors in their respective places. Although Paul calls both of these men his sons, It is clear that Timothy has a special place in his heart. He refers to Timothy in verse 1 as my own son or my true child, and in verse 18 he repeats this and calls him my child, and during the weeks between now and Thanksgiving, we will be looking at Paul's message to Timothy as we anticipate the arrival of a pastor of our own, uh, probably not in that time frame, but nevertheless, whenever that happens. We will not try to be exhaustive in our approach, but only try to glean from these lessons those which apply universally to every church of every age and leaving those which appear to be unique to Timothy and Ephesus for another time. That said, we will begin at the beginning. Paul starts by asserting, as he has in many of his other letters, that he is an apostle by the command of God. An apostle is someone who is sent with a message, maybe an envoy, or in several places he refers to himself as an ambassador of Christ. This apostolos in the Greek from which we get the word apostle means one who is sent with a message. Paul understands that God has called to him. He has singled him out, as it were, with a message to be proclaimed, particularly to the Gentiles. We believe that to some individuals, God extends a specific call to serve his church as a spiritual leader. This person is called by various titles in the early church, bishop, elder, shepherd, and they are are all translated at various points and in various translations as pastor. They emphasize one characteristic or another perhaps, but in these words we find generally a broad job description of what this person is to do. Our pastor will not only have a sense that God has called him or her to salvation, but more than that, they will have a sense that the Lord has extended a call to be a pastor. And even more specific. Our pastor. Paul believed that God had a purpose in Titus being in Crete and Timothy being in Ephesus, and we believe that God will have in mind a purpose for our pastor being in Waynesboro. But notice that God not only had a place in mind for Timothy but also a purpose in mind Paul said that the purpose for which Timothy is in Ephesus is quote that you may instruct certain people not to teach different teachings the new international version says that uh, false doctrines um, rather than certain teachings, but it amounts to something that isn't the truth as has been proclaimed by Paul and those orthodox ministers, those who understand the gospel of Christ, and these people who proclaim these false doctrines, these different teachings, concern themselves with what Paul calls endless genealogies and myths. Now, honestly, we don't know who these certain people are. Paul doesn't name them, but I would suspect Paul knows exactly who they are and I think Timothy does too. Paul doesn't have to name them because they both know who these folks are and these folks are creating some problems in the church with their teaching. And not only their teaching, but in these teachings they are getting people off track They're causing them to engage in wild speculations and things that don't matter at all. These certain people are called upon or will be called upon by Timothy to quit devoting themselves to these things that don't matter and once again give attention to the love that springs from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. In verse 6, Paul says that these people have deviated from the love and have gone off on a tangent chasing these myths and endless genealogies. In today's parlance, we would say they have run off the road. Paul is saying that they've left the true pathway. They've gone off on a tangent. Now, by <clears throat> taking issue with endless genealogies, he's not condemning Ancestry.com, but he is saying that these folks whoever they were, and they may be a group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics generally believed that spirit is good and matter is bad, and God and matter have always existed, and in calling into creation the world, God had to call upon matter that was evil to create the world and uh, he did this by a series of proclamations that led from his holiness down, 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 down to the evil matter rather like steps or rungs of a ladder. You see how confusing this gets. And you see why Paul was taking issue not only with all this confusion but by the falsehood itself with which they begin. Now maybe it wasn't the Gnostics, it may have been a group that kind of focused on the Old Testament and used Old Testament stories and they wove together. myths or legends along with the stories themselves. We don't know exactly who these people were, but Paul is clear in condemning their being off-track. Have you ever known someone who felt important because of who they were related to. I knew someone who discovered that an ancestor had immigrated to these shores in the early 1600s and settled at Jamestown. Now this guy was a good friend. But whenever he got off on Jamestown, I quit listening. It was almost like, well, you know, my ancestors came from Jamestown. As though somehow or another that made him superior to the rest of us. Well, that was kind of hard to take. And after a while, I think somebody got his attention and he pretty much quit that. I say pretty much. But these folks likened themselves to superior people because they were related to some kind of famous rabbi or some biblical figure that they had found in their lineage, or at least they had supposedly found in their lineage, and Paul does not, he is not impressed, let's say. He sees that these teachers use their supposed superiority to puff themselves up and to somehow or another indicate that People should listen to them. Paul takes a dim view of such notions and says of them, first of all, that they talk, but they don't even understand what they're saying. And not only that, the things about which they make such absolute assertions, they don't have a clue about. So they don't know the subject matter, and they don't know what they're saying, so Paul says, why listen to these people? Long before Joseph Goebbels hit on the theory of the big lie, these people understood that if you tell something consistently and with enough conviction, people will believe it whether or not it's true. And Paul was not about to be taken in by this. In our times, I sometimes get weary hearing preachers on the radio talk about the end times as though they received a top secret telegram from the pearly gates. They give a particular eschatological view claiming that Christ will reign for a thousand years after Christians have been whisked away to heaven, or others take another view, saying, no, the whisking takes place after this thousand years, so they are post-millennial reign, whereas those pre-millennial Whiskers are called the premillennialists. And there are a number of people who say, no, 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 the the thousand years isn't to be understood literally, and they are amillennialists. I had a seminary professor who preferred to, to, who referred to himself as a millennialist. He said, I just believe everything's going to pan out in the end. (laughs) And I have to say that's more or less my view as well. The truth is, these notions lead to what Paul was talking about, speculation. It isn't absolutely certain what these verses mean in Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 to 6. It's not certain. No matter how firmly a preacher preaches otherwise, these questions are not fully understood. These people don't know what they're talking about, even though they loudly proclaim otherwise. Now, you may have an opinion about such matters, of course, but accept that God is keeping some of his secrets secret. Jesus said not even he knew the details of the end times. So if Jesus said, I don't know, I'm not going to be taken in by a preacher who says he knows. So all of this is to say some of the very same things that Paul was dealing with through Timothy in Ephesus that we find ourselves dealing with today. And we hope and suspect and pray that our pastor will be one who understands that the main thing needs to be the main thing. Speculations are sometimes fun to deal with. A vivid imagination is a wonderful thing, but come to understand the truth and don't engage in endless genealogies and myths and millennial speculations. One of the reasons Timothy is in Ephesus is to take issue with these people who said more than they understood and were confident about things they knew nothing about. But there's another reason Timothy is in Ephesus, and this is the main thing, and that is to proclaim the truth of salvation. We live in a time when people don't like to be told they're sinners. I don't know if there was ever a time when people relished the idea of being called a sinner. But there was a time when people understood that they were. We live in a time when not only people don't like to be called sinners or thought of as sinners, but... There are many who don't even admit that they are. They prefer to think that they are victims of their parents' inadequate parenting skills which left them with rough edges and prone to make mistakes. Call it what you will, but we preachers are called to proclaim that we have all fallen short of God's glory and fallen short of God's intention for us and messed up big time. But the good news is God is our savior. Now, Paul usually refers to Christ our savior and this is a departure from the norm saying that God is our savior. But it's certainly taken from Old Testament thought Moses referred to this. The psalmist often did. Even Mary, when the angel Gabriel came to her, calling her to be the mother of the Savior, she referred to her spirit rejoicing in God, her Savior. So, God is our Savior, Paul says. Now, we are, as I say, more accustomed to Christ, our Savior, but salvation has its origin in God's own heart. He forgives us and fills us with a portion of himself called the Holy Spirit. When we acknowledge that we are not everything we should be, and not everything we pretend to be. The amazing thing is, God doesn't reject us, but extends to us His mercy and His grace. Just as to Paul, who thought of himself as the chief of sinners, this grace and mercy are extended not because we deserve them for we do not neither are they given in expectation that we will somehow grow into them and deserve them for that cannot happen we are human beings and as such we have tremendous potential but we'll never be perfect They are extended because God loves us so much that he wants us to be his forever. So it is that our pastor will sense God's call to be a pastor and God's call to this place for the purposes of instructing us in godly living and to proclaim that Jesus Christ came into the world to save us. And together, we, along with our pastor, will fight the good fight of faith.